Welcome to a special off-the-books episode of the All the Books Show, the official podcast of the David A. Howe Public Library. We talk book news, author news, and literary news, but Nick, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're talking to my pal Phil Troutman, who's the director over in the Cohocton Library. Each week we've been doing little interviews with uh, library directors from around the system here. Sally Jacoby Murphy from Hammondsport was the guinea pig. Hmm. Not like your guinea pig. Oh, okay. And then last week we talked to Fred Savage enthusiast Tina Dalton from the Cuba Circulating Library. Right, and, uh, Fred Savage enthusiast, but also she sided with me about Jurassic Park. She did. She did. Yeah. She felt like if she had to choose between Citizen Kane and Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just saying, I, I let yeah. Sally know that the vote is two to one mm-hmm. uh, in, in your yeah. favor. So she's... Yeah. Remember when uh, at the end of Jurassic Park when the T-Rex throws the raptor at the skeleton and all falls down and the yeah. banner is flowing behind the T-Rex and yeah. on the banner it says Rosebud? Yeah. Yeah, it was the T-Rex's sled back the in... The whole time. Yeah. Yeah. See, it was surprising, but it also kind of made sense. Not with you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, ha- have you been, we haven't really talked about what you've been reading in a while. Of course, in the regular episodes, we're, you know, months behind. So, what are you reading right at this very moment? So, what I was reading was a library book I had to return, and mm. I don't know if you know it, it's kind of hard to get library books right now. I am aware. And of course, I picked the one library book that's not on Overdrive or anything. Yeah. It's the Yiddish Policeman's Unit by Michael Chabon. So, yes. I haven't been reading that. Okay. So, instead, I picked up The Wise Man's Fear by Patrick Rothfuss. Haven't so you been I was reading on... this for like five years? So, about four years ago, I started it, Yeah. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to click on it right now to see when the start date was. But I was about 500 pages in, which is halfway through. Mm-hmm. And I just, I had to, I guess I just put it down and never went back to it. Hold yeah. on. I started this April 2nd, 2015. Mm. Basically, as soon as I started working at David A. Howe Public Library. See, that's funny because I'm currently reading Joyce Carol Oates' Blonde, which I started mm-hmm. in 2016 and got okay. halfway through and stopped and now I picked it back up again. So it's like we're in a time machine. So here we go. April 2nd is when I started it, 2015. Mm-hmm. June 8th, 2015 is apparently the last time I put any progress wow. into it. So Ju- So I had been reading it for however many months that was. What is that? Three? Yes. Three months. And then I put it down. And so now I picked it up and I'm just, I've made such slow progress. It's long. I definitely, my love affair with this series is definitely cold considering I love the first book and it kind of changed my view on fantasy books and everything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't wait for the second one. And I don't know, now I read it. And considering how long it's been since this book came out and the third book, I'm just like, you know what? Patrick Rothfuss might be a little uh, into himself. Mm Oh, I imagine he he, he writes take. this book in front of a mirror so he can just look <laughs> up and see himself writing and go, like, there's an author. Wow. There's an author. There's a bitterness to you. <laughs> so anyway, oh, man, it's here's subtle, another thing. But it does come so, out at times. Over on my X-Men podcast, we're going to be spotlighting uh, Rogue in a oh. little bit. Hi, y'all. And there's, there's a blind spot I have with, uh, with Rogue in the comics mm-hmm. in that at one point, Chris Claremont was writing the Extreme X-Men yes. series. Yes. It was like six volumes or something. And she's in that. And they're, so I was like, I better read this. Mm-hmm. I have read the first four issues out of six. And I have not been able to pick it up. Because so far, no good. Mm. And I mean, on this show, I've talked about how much I love Chris Claremont's X-Men. Yeah. But the, his extreme X-Men, when he returns, it's just, it's dated and it's not great. And he just has tropes that are done over and over and over again. Anyway, I'm only four issues into the 60, 100 issue run. I don't even know. Wow. 
Yeah. You got to do it. You got to go the distance. I know. I know. I just got to get through it. I thought maybe this would be comforting in this like time of quarantine. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to read some old fashioned X-Men by the by the granddaddy of X-Men comics himself. hasn't been what I wanted. Mm. I'm with you, though, comic book-wise during the quarantine here because I'm reading Blonde still. Joyce Carol Oates is Blonde. And I'm in in spitting distance at the end. But it is so heavy and so upsetting in a uniquely Joyce Carol Oates way that I've taken a lot of, like, you know, I read a a chapter or a section and then I go and read something on the DC app or something like that, which is like a heaven sent at this moment when um, I've read every graphic novel that's just naturally in my house. But um, yeah, I've been, I've been getting through quite a lot of stuff that's been on my list as well. Anything nice. that you, anything that you're reading that you like or nothing? <laughs> no. Okay. I mean, I don't hate the wise man's fear. It's good. It's just so long and slow. After a while, it's just like you know what? Editors are out there to help you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I finished season three of Halt and Catch Fire. Okay. So that that was good, and uh, I got one more season of that. I, I watched uh, In the Heat of the Night for the first time. Oh, okay. On the Criterion channel. Yeah. We got the uh, first seven days free of Apple TV, so I've been watching Mythic Quest. Oh. So, Understood. so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we watched uh, the Hobbit series and the Lord of the Rings series. So, yes. like, you're going to be we, doing a Twitch review of the Hobbit pretty soon. Yeah, I have to. Yeah. So. <laughs> Not have to. So, Wait. keep an eye out for that. All right. Yeah. What have you been reading and keeping yourself busy with? Well, like I said, a lot of graphic novels. So, uh, I read a Star Is Trek. Is Blonde the only book you've been reading? Pretty much blonde, wow. and I'm, I'm listening to uh, Diane Keaton's new book, Brother and Sister. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty much like devoted to finishing Blonde, and then I'm going to move on to other things. But it's just so dense, you know. It's a, it's a long, involved read, and it's not a great one to like pick up and then the next day grab it again. It's like you really you gotta you gotta put some in there. But yeah. I, I read a Star Trek Discovery graphic novel called Succession, which is set in the in their mirror universe. And so it was. Did you say like, graphic novel? I did. I didn't realize Discovery was in comic form yet. Yeah, there's there's a couple. There's one that's just about the Klingons. There's this one, and then there's one coming out this month that has Spock and everything in it. This one was decent. It's just it's the mirror universe versions of the characters, so it's kind of like the stakes don't matter, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read a truly awful Superman called Black Dawn, and I don't know if you're aware, but mm-hmm. Superman Rebirth has not been good. It's not been kind to me. Right. And this was a story with Manchester Black from like Superman oh, yeah. versus the Elite or whatever the... What is that? What is that called? Uh, I th- I don't the, think it's actually because it's just like four issues or right. something. The the guy is trying to prove to Superman that he'll turn at any moment and yeah. he he can be a bad guy. It's kind of a critique on like the '90s grit of superhero comics. Well, and this this is kind of doing the same thing, saying that like there's no place for a good kind Superman. And I'm like, you know, Zack Snyder beat you to the punch here, but <laughs> it's just terrible. I'm tired of like the super dad storyline where it's mostly just like Superman parenting. And the Superman story, <laughs> the Superman like mainline title has basically been a Super Sons book too. Mm-hmm. And so like I just want a Superman story, and they just apparently they're not making them. No, sorry. I, I was pleased that I got in my Robin 80th anniversary order from uh, Midtown Comics because I mm-hmm. actually did get it in the mail, and I was very excited about this. Nice. Uh, as you'll hear all about my love of Robin in the next proper episode of the All the Book Show. Robin. Uh, but this, uh, this Would you say to... that that graphic novel then swooped into your life like a Robin? I would. It's a common expression, and I would use yep. it in this case. <laughs> yeah. But this is like a lot of classic authors come back and write a story for from their time so like chuck dixon comes back and writes some nightwing and tim seeley writes some grayson and you know 
Uh, it's good and bad. I would say the the Jason Todd story is like surprisingly good, as is the Stephanie Brown. But it, it was it was a cool collection overall. I mean, I loved it, but it was more of sentimental value. I don't know how much you dig it, but I I really did like that. That's it for me. Uh, have you met Phil Phil Troutman before? Maybe. Have you guys been? <laughs> <laughs> I should ask him that too. You know, I, I grilled Tina about all the other things that we were talking about, about uh, Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. Shouldn't really care about Val Kilmer. Is there anything that, uh, that I should ask Phil on your behalf? Any, any uh, movie trivia or, or other things mm. you'd like him to weigh in on? Mm-hmm. Let's see. Right. We talked about Marlon Brando yes. and Val Kilmer. Cruise. I can ask Tom- him. I mean, I, I'll ask him if, you want, if he's excited about Top Gun 2. I guess, yeah. I, I mean, that's the only Tom Cruise thing, right? Here's the thing. I mean, you're likely to get a no to that question, but boy, do you open a Pandora's box if the person answers yes. If they like Tom Cruise? If they're excited about Top Gun 2. Oh, right, yeah. I want to meet just, the person who's yeah. like, heck, yes, I am. When does that come out? Right. Maybe it's Phil Troutman. I don't know, Right. but I intend to find out. Right, because the layers are, is it is it Tom Cruise? Yeah. Yeah. Is it the series? Yeah. Is it Val Kilmer? Do you like the is Air it, Force? Right. Is it the Air I don't Force? Know. You know. Is it some nostalgic value you have for Reagan's right. 80s America? Right. Well, I'll get Phil to weigh in on his favorite 80s movie as well. Yeah, that's out, that's so. what we need to know. If he Where says the goes. Breakfast Club, he's out of here. You think? I yeah. mean, it's but it's set in a library. That makes perfect sense. Ugh. So is the uh, the Page Master, but mm. we don't push that movie on kids when they come into the library. I can almost guarantee you that Phil's not going to say his favorite <laughs> 80s movie is The Breakfast Club. I can almost okay. guarantee that. Okay. But, but we'll see what he says. Should we do that right now? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Welcome, everybody, to a special Off the Books episode of the All the Books show, normally recorded at the David A. Howe Public Library, uh, right now recorded from the back room of my house and wherever our guest Phil Troutman is. Phil, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. <laughs> Where are front you recording? Front room of my house. The front room. Okay. All right. So that's an important distinction. Front room so. of my house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now we know that. Uh, how have you been? How is, uh, how's isolation treating you so far? So far, so good. Everybody, uh, everybody here is still healthy, and uh, we're navigating, you know, like guess the same as everybody else it's yeah. kind of a new experience for everybody but uh everybody here is healthy so we're not you know nobody's had to be in total isolation yet what what ages are the kids in your house uh we have one eddie is uh okay. he's in fourth grade he's nine so we've been kind of balancing the uh and my wife teaches in the school district so we've been balancing eddie's you know the, the work that got sent home for eddie yeah and then the work that she's had to you know, kind of walk some of her students through through Google Classroom and stuff like that. So it's been uh, it's been pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly a weird time. We just have one too. My son's in kindergarten, so in some ways I think that's easier, but it's also a difficult to like keep him engaged and entertained. And you know, he's just very social. So just having his old parents to hang around with, you know, I think is is challenging for him too. Yeah. So it's hard to know what curveballs are going to come your way. But yeah, like you, I mean, we've been doing. We've been yeah. doing fine so far. It's just a, it's a weird experience that I would gladly be done with. <laughs> so yeah, it's that's the truth. We've um, you know they they sent home uh, this packet of work for the kids, um, and the the Wayland district closed, you know, two days earlier than they thought they were going to. So yeah. it was kind of an emergency thing, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been kind of fun to to see what they've sent home. And then, you know, like one of the projects was uh, build a catapult. Oh, okay. And uh, I was like, all right, fine, Eddie. So, you know, he he built a catapult out of like a plastic spoon and a rubber band and nice. a tin can or something. And last week we built a 
catapult. I mean, it's like a four or five foot tall catapult out of, you know, lumber that was oh, wow. here at the house. Okay. And, uh, so we've been, we've been working through, you know, various versions of that catapult, uh, you know, for the last week or so. So it's, Part of it has been really fun to do that kind of stuff, but yeah. then also it's like, ah, I get that you're struggling with, you know, division, but I don't understand how to teach you to divide. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't, don't get it. So we we have not built any catapults. My sons' take home packets are more like, how many apples are in the picture? You know, <laughs> so <laughs> well, a little, you a can different. But how many apples can you hurl across the yard? Yeah, well, yeah. that's uh, yeah, that's the next step. Obviously, uh, have you been have you been doing any reading while you're cooped up? Read anything good lately? <laughs> Yeah, actually, uh, I just uh, started to um, to reread Joe uh, Joseph Ellis's uh, American Sphinx um, about Thomas Jefferson. Oh, okay. Um, I'm uh, a very large uh, Thomas Jefferson nerd, and uh, yeah. that has been always one been one of my favorite books of on Jefferson. And I figured now, what better time to you know to start to reread it than now? So. Uh, like fiction wise, I read, I try to read anyway, like kind of oddball stuff, yeah. like, uh, you know, not necessarily the, the stuff that is on our new bookshelf at the mm-hmm. library. And I wish that I could remember the name of this book that was suggested to me now. Uh, but it takes place in like, you know, some weird dystopian future uh, in America. And it's about, um, it just, it r- was randomly about a group of women who are, uh, they call themselves librarians, but they they travel like it seems to, they, n- they never really identify where it takes place, but it seems like it's out west and the government does not approve anybody to have vehicles at this okay. point. So the, these librarians uh, are traveling seemingly the, you know, the American Southwest okay. or um, by horse and, and wagon. Uh, and they, you know, they pick up uh, this poor lost soul who wants to join the librarians Um and I, I had no idea about the librarian tie-in. That was completely coincidence, I guess. Yeah. Uh, work to recreation, but uh, so far so good. And an easy read. And I, I wish that I could remember the name of the book. And I feel bad that I don't. Know, so. <laughs> it's a fun little mystery. Which I've been Everybody like, can Google those terms. I know. Yeah. I've been doing that while you're talking, and I, I have not been able to come up with a with a case of this. <laughs> what this is called? So uh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out have you so are you are is. you a are you a presidential history nut or are you just a thomas jefferson my bachelor's degree is political science okay so i wouldn't say that i'm a presidential history not something about thomas jefferson's life and and his role in the you know the real early stages of, yeah. of the country just always i just kind of always i want to say it connected with it but it always was more interesting to me and um his personal life and and kind of the 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 beliefs that he held and then the way that he led his personal life it's you know he's a very you know there's very two parts yeah, of the story to him that was always definitely. uh that was always interesting yeah so. i read uh not too long ago i read a good um david mccullough biography of teddy roosevelt and it was just like the early years it was just like young teddy roosevelt and i thought that was really fascinating and i've always wanted to read robert caro's Lyndon Johnson series, like his five-part Lyndon Johnson series that he's been writing since the '80s, uh, four oh, four yeah. now one more. That's that's always been on my list. So maybe maybe now's the time to uh, to dive into that. Did you? Uh, how did you feel about the McCullough the Roosevelt book? I liked it. It was I, everything I've read with David McCullough. I feel like I I like the majority of it, but he tends to go on these 
digressions that you know in, in books like that it can last a hundred pages you know so it was like uh, yeah. <laughs> uh you know it, teddy roosevelt we're just we're kind of cooking along and then teddy roosevelt has asthma as a child and there was seriously probably at least at least 70 pages just about Teddy Roosevelt having asthma and what asthma treatment was like during that time. And it was just a whole little mini book about <sighs> asthma at that time. And I was definitely like, okay, all right, David McCullough. <laughs> it was the same thing with his, uh, with his Wright Brothers book. It was like, most of it was really fascinating. And we just go in this weird little, like, I wonder what they were doing in France during this time. And it's like, oh. okay, thank you. But let's talk about That's, Kitty Hawk. It's but, interesting. You know. Yeah, that you mentioned the the Wright Brothers book. I actually I have that book okay. here with me as like a potential next choice for um, book club that yeah. we run uh, at the library. Um, and I I had never read it. I've read other books that McCullough has mm-hmm. written, but I'd never read the uh, Wright Brothers one. So, I, you um, know, but I, you're right. He does seem to he goes deep. Sometimes. Yeah, yes, he does. He does. That Wright Brothers book probably would be a good book club because it is. It's a lot more slim than usual David McCullough books, and it is pretty. It's pretty focused, even though it you know it wanders here and there. It's it's actually it is a pretty good read. And when you hear about like the personalities involved, so I bet that would make a good book club. Well, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get more into it. I, I guess like so. It. Have you remembered the title of this uh, traveling librarian's book? Yet? Um, I did. It's it's called um, Upright Women Wanted, oh. um, and it's by Sarah Galley. The topic is just offbeat enough yeah. where it's you know it's still grounded and you can see it happening and it's a blend of like old western kind of mythology and you know what we what might happen in a you know kind of a 1984 uh, sort of future so huh. well, I really so thought far, that so I was going to when you said it I'd be like oh of course but no I've never heard of that is it a series or anything uh, no not that I can tell I oh, think this is the the first one um, the the first book anyway if it's going to become a series it's the first it's okay. the first one so um but i i always steer people towards um robin sloan's uh novels as well mr penumbra's 24-hour bookstore which i yes okay i haven't read those but i'm familiar with them oh man i i absolutely love that book okay. and um his last novel was called sourdough and um i accidentally ordered um <laughs> what we thought was a second copy of the audiobook uh-huh. um and see, now we're talking about this again. I'm not going to remember the woman's name who read the audiobook. But okay. when I read the book, and then I went back and I listened to the audiobook, and again, it's a short book, and the audiobook only took me like a, a week to get yeah. through in the car. Her interpretation of the characters, and that it was like, it was exactly how I read it in my head mm. kind of thing. It was just, it was really, really well put together. So Robin Sloan is one of those authors that I always that I always steer people towards too. Cause it's, you know, he's, you know, he's uh, weird enough for me. It's interesting how much the, the reader of an audiobook influences the experience. It really drives home the fact that like being an audiobook narrator is, is an art. I mean, it's a performance and, and you can really ruin a book by being bad and you can elevate a book that's bad <laughs> if you're a good reader, you know? Yeah. Through your interview. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I know that there's been um, a couple of Dean Koontz books mm that I read the books and I thought, eh, you know, okay, like, all right. But then the audio performances of them, it was just like, okay, I totally get where mm-hmm. he was going now with mm-hmm. this book. Like I, and I, that's what, you know, the buy-in was. He's just, he's one of those authors that sticks out in my head that 
the audio performance has had that confirmative yeah. aspect. Mm-hmm. I've never been a big Dean Koontz fan. I've tried with a couple of books and I've just never, I've never read something that was just a standalone. I've only read like Odd Thomas and the Frankenstein book. I think that for me, the difference, the reason that I, and I'm not like a huge, just if I'm going to pick up, you know, if somebody's going to say, you know, here's a Stephen King book or here's this Dean Koontz book. I just look at the Stephen King book, most of his books, and I'm just like, oh my god, I know I'm never going to get through that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's like I would like to read Tom Clancy's books, mm-hmm. but Mr. C- Clancy, please, or whoever's writing his books now, right, yeah. give me something that I am going to get through as a you know a working father mm-hmm. who also you know I've got you know responsibilities at home and responsibilities at work and all the rest of that. Like, I just. I know if I read a Tom Clancy book or a Stephen King book in that, you know, that half hour between when I can start reading and when I fall asleep because a book hit me in the face, yeah, <laughs> I'm never going to get through those books. So the Dean Koontz books tend to be a little bit uh, yeah. small right, and right. Uh, easier to get through. So Yeah, I know um, just what you mean. I have a, I picked up a Tom Clancy book that, uh, that I was planning to read, you know, before everything went crazy. And I was like, no way can I focus on... You know, can I sit down and focus on a Tom Clancy book for as much time as it will take while everything else yeah. is like crazy around me? So, yeah, it's uh, it's nice to have some some comfort food, which is when I usually tend to grab like a like a Star Trek or a Star Wars book. That's those are my go to's to just sort of sit back and relax and not think about it too much. Yeah, that kind of turn off your brain, yeah. so to speak, kind of yes. eating. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I've really enjoyed um, the the new um star wars uh books that have come out um the uh like the the ones that chuck wendig wrote oh yeah um mm-hmm. there was another it was like it was like a compilation of smaller stories oh nuts canto bite i think is yeah. i think is mm-hmm. that was the, the last one I, i've enjoyed those yeah i haven't um, read that one but i i read a solo book by ray carson which i thought was really good but i didn't so much oh. care for the uh rise of skywalker novelization which i just finished you know? see i've left the novelizations of the movies you know these new the the you know episode seven eight and nine yeah i have i have really enjoyed i i really i really have enjoyed them um i think that that episode nine was i left the movie theater like really happy with where the story was at yeah um and there's you know there's a clear path forward Mm -hmm. i think for the for the the franchise that doesn't you know it's you know it's sort of no longer the skywalker story arc yeah but there's a clear path forward and it's like okay cool i don't have to run out and although i am today uh signing up for disney plus to (laughs) run through the mandalorian yeah yeah um but uh, but the the novelizations of those movies, I'm like, ah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna stick with the screen interpretation yeah. of it and get through it. But I'm gonna have to look up that the Carson the solo book. It's called it's called Most Wanted, and uh, cool. I, yeah, I I don't know. I thought it was, I think it's actually a YA one, but I I don't know. I just uh, I really liked it. Uh, Some of those, I mean, I'm sure that this you know when it, you were you know the same age essentially mm-hmm. um, that uh, you know in that. 80s and the first part of the 90s really they were making those you know i mean they were the, the star wars the expanded universe kind of the novels oh, yeah. the, the novels were getting cranked out all the time i yeah i loved picking those up mm-hmm. and you know between myself and um you know a couple of my friends and neighbors we would you know we had them and we would trade them back and yep. forth just as people finished yeah. them so um i used to really enjoy getting into the expanded universe yeah, that way so the, the thrawn trilogy the corellian trilogy jedi academy trilogy those are like my top favorites yeah very very good yeah 
Uh, so we've had a couple of questions that have popped up uh, for the for the directors over the last couple of weeks we've been doing this. And the first one is one that Eric originally posed to me, which I had to laugh at because I have never done this. But uh, I'm going to put it to you. When was the last time you slept until noon? Oh, man. Uh, I I can't even right? honestly remember. I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure that it's probably happened, you know, maybe once uh, yeah. since uh, since we've had our son, but I can't imagine it happening more than right. that over the last nine or ten years. Is, I, <laughs> I know. That's a good question. I'm jealous of people who can just, like, fall asleep wherever. You know, my wife will always be like, well, why don't you just go take a nap? And that's just not something I can do. It's just I've never been able to do that, and I'm not good at sleeping in. So, like, these are just not, not skills that I have. Yep. So I'm you... just going to operate on less sleep. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Where did you grow up? I grew up um, uh, west of Rochester in uh, in Churchville. Oh, okay. Uh, I graduated from Churchville Chile High School, so mm-hmm. not not too far from where yeah. I am now. Yeah, no, I, I know that area. Yeah, I'm I'm originally from Michigan, so this is a little bit. I'm I'm about eight hours from uh, from my hometown. Came here uh, for college and then just uh, stuck around. Ever since, were you a library user? As and a then kid? you stayed. Yeah, right? I did. Yep, I did stay. You know, I um, it was funny that uh, when I was listening to the uh, the interview you did with Sally, that you know that you mentioned that you know you don't have any like real vivid memory of being at the library as a as a kid. No. And I I thought about that, and I I I really don't either. I mean, I remember what the library in my elementary school looked like but i don't have any kind of real vivid memory of something that was like you know this is i love this place this is yeah. awesome yeah. junior high or middle school whatever i don't remember what that library looked like i remember the library in high school but like as a kid i you know not really i mean mm-hmm. it, not that i wasn't a library user but i you know i don't think that my like my family wasn't yeah my grandfather my mom's father just always had i mean if he had less than three or four thousand books in his house like i would be surprised Mm -hmm. uh you know especially when i was younger yeah and you know like every issue of national geographic from like 1960 something to 19 you know 80 something was on the on the back porch Mm -hmm. Um, so there was all, uh, you know, I always had access to my grandfather's kind of informal, yeah. uh, library. Um, but not, you know, I, I don't, I don't have that connection to being, you know, really young and being in the library. No. Mm-hmm. Were you an active kid? Cause I can tell you, I, I was not, I did just about everything I could to get out of gym and I hated sports and that sort of thing i was that was never my thing the only thing that saved me from getting picked last every gym class was that i had a lot of friends and that was it <laughs> i'd get a, i'd get a pity pick you know about, about middle way through <laughs> yeah i um i th- yeah i mean i think that i was i mean i you know to this day you know one of my best friends um you know we grew up next door to one another uh, oh, you know funny. through um, elementary school and middle school and, and uh, you know he lives now in Rhode Island but we still you know are are very much in contact so mm-hmm. we were you know from the time my family moved next door to his you know we were basically we were outside a lot yeah. um, and and you know playing basketball or uh, skateboarding or riding our bikes or whatever before they built a, a housing track behind where we lived uh, it was just um, a wheat field and there was a a big hill in the middle of the wheat field and we would hike back through this 
this wheat field, you know, for ever is before, obviously our parents didn't care if we were covered in ticks or, right. or ticks <laughs> yeah. didn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, seemingly didn't exist, uh, 35 years ago. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I guess I would say that, yeah, I was a pretty active kid. So active, but not necessarily sporty. Like, were you playing, were you playing like organized sports and that sort of thing? No, uh, uh, you know, I guess like I, I remember playing, I played, um, you know, like summer rec baseball and soccer. Um, and I played basketball a little bit in high school, but my time in high school was, uh, occupied with various other endeavors. Mm. <laughs> I don't, I don't know the, <laughs> I don't know the proper way to put that. I mean, I, it's, you know, I, I was not the, I mean, I don't think I was a troublemaker. I certainly, I wasn't in a whole bunch of trouble, uh, in high school or anything like that, but, um, there was, a uh, a great deal of jackassery, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> but with, you know, me, me and my, fr- sure. <laughs> me and my friends. Sure, so, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. That's funny. Who was your, uh, who was your celebrity <laughs> crush when you were a kid, when you were like in junior high, who was your celebrity crush? Oh man. Like excluding princess Leia. Cause I think that, sure. Those of us of a certain age, oh, probably um, junior high. Gosh, uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to go to my fault and, and maybe say Elizabeth Shue. Oh, okay. That might have been Elizabeth Shue. I mean, it's from something in particular. I'm trying to think of what I would have seen her in. You know, in middle school, I guess it would probably like the later um, uh, Back to the Future movies. Perfect. Yeah, two um, and three. Yep. Then she was in. Um, I guess I was probably in high school when uh, The Saint came yes. out with Val Kilmer. I love that movie. We were uh, just talking about Val Kilmer last week, too. That's funny. That movie gave me a great appreciation for uh, for Val Kilmer as well. And I still I still defend my stance that he was that he was the best Batman. Interesting. You know, Eric and I have discussed this like at length. <laughs> I always feel like Val Kilmer is he's like, I think he's such a good Bruce Wayne. I don't know that he always nails it for me as Batman. What do you, but you're uh, both. No, he both. definitely does. He, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So, oh no. If you're going to pick a, you know, who is the best Batman? I, I, man, I, I don't even know. Cause I think that Christian Bale did a, a pretty good job with it, with the new movies. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know what, I guess I, I just like Val Kilmer. Yeah. 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 I loved, I mean, as a kid, I loved Batman forever watching it more recently as adult. I was kind of like, Hmm. I don't know if this holds up as much, but I weirdly thought that Ben Affleck was a good Batman trapped in bad movies. You know, like I would have liked to have seen a really good like Batman movie with Ben Affleck getting a chance to do that. Did you did you care for his performance at all? I, you know, I'll be honest, I haven't seen any of the new DC movies all the way through. <laughs> that probably um, makes sense. I feel bad about that because I think that, you know, what younger uh, as far as like comic books goes and, and things like that. That I was definitely, as far as superheroes go, I mean, I was, if I had to choose, I'd choose DC. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just, and I get that, you know, that the movies are, are different. Um, you know, the DC movies are very much, you know, they're darker and it's not as much of a, that they're almost designed to be a little less uplifting visually. 
That's well uh, than the Marvel ones, with the exception um, of Aquaman. I would say I think Aquaman is right up there. It's very, it's very appealing visually and has a lot of bright colors. So if if you were gonna if you were gonna go in and try some of these new DC movies, I think Wonder Woman and Aquaman uh, would definitely be worth your time. I I can't imagine a world in which I'd watch Man of nice. Steel or Batman v Superman or Suicide Squad again. But Wonder Woman <laughs> and Aquaman are solid. Yeah, I I have seen now that you mention it. I mean, on TV uh, the the first wonder woman movie okay all right and enjoyed it actually i, I really like um chris pine uh as an actor i think I he's yeah. uh, i think he's really good yeah, i think that uh that that was like almost the you could not have picked a, a more perfect actor to resurrect jim kirk and yeah. you know whether that carries his star a little bit brighter but i think that he was really great in those movies in the wonder woman movie i i feel like i should just tell our normal listeners that i did not put Phil up to saying all these things that I so agree with. Because <laughs> I've been singing Chris Pine's praises, <laughs> especially like Chris Pine as Kirk for many years now. So I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think he's, I think he's perfect as Kirk. And I, I think that's a really difficult, yeah. it's a difficult character to play, especially when you got William Shatner in your head. But I feel like Chris Pine really splits the difference well. Like he has, he has some yeah. Shatnerisms, but really, you know, takes it in a, in a direction that makes it modern and cool. So yeah, I, I like Chris Pine whenever he shows up. Agreed. Are you uh, are you a Star Trek guy as a rule? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. You? I'm Star Wars okay. uh, first and foremost and always, but um, my uh, my uncles uh, kind of ensured that I had a very good dose of, especially the original movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I love those movies. And then after, you know, so yes, I, I am. But you know, Star Wars will always be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a little bit, a little bit more than Star Trek. Are you speaking of Val Kilmer again? Are you excited that they're making a Top Gun two? Uh, right. I just, um, we, we've been having have this, this ongoing debate about who this movie is for. So I was wondering if it was for you, but maybe not. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess I don't know enough about you know the the story behind it to really make a a decent judgment. Yeah. Um, I mean, Top Gun is not but, a movie that screams I mean, for a sequel. That's the thing. Like, I don't know why you desperately need a Top Gun two. I don't. I don't get it either. I think that <laughs> um, Hollywood has officially just completely run out of any semblance of an original idea. That's what I hear. Um, you know, I mean, really, if anything that uh, has been uh, a remotely original idea uh, that hasn't been based on a book mm-hmm. um, for the last you know, 10 or 15 years. I mean, how much of it has really come from like traditional Hollywood? I, you know, I don't know how much of it really has. Yeah. It's all, you know, relaunching uh, franchises and things. I mean, I'm only 40 years old and we're on the like third (laughs) Spider-Man, I think. Yeah. As far as, you know, as far as movies, like I get that they want to keep milking some of this for what it's worth or to try and keep it fresh. But, you know, the world survived a really long time without a single Spider-Man movie at all. It's true. That wasn't animated, I guess. And now, now we're on our third Spider-Man, like, you know, relaunching the franchise for the third time. I just, you know, it's a lot. Did you see, did you see into the Spider-Verse, which has Chris Pine uh, voicing the original Spider-Man in that movie? It was so good. Yeah. That, uh, I haven't done it yet, but I will add that DVD uh, to my collection. I thought yeah. that was 
uh, I thought it was great. I oh, thought I it was yeah, no really, really good. Yeah. So what what kind of movies do you typically like? I mean, what's your, what's your era for movies? I probably skew sci-fi fantasy. All right. A little bit more than, you know, I thought the first uh, Expendables movie was, <laughs> I thought it was great. I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, I mean, it's it wasn't a cinematic masterpiece right. by any means. But, you know, if you put all of these guys in a movie together, all you know, what do you get? You get Expendables, the first Expendables movie. I thought it was yeah. great. Uh well, now I think they've made 12 of them or that's a movie. Else, that, so. that first <laughs> Expendables movie is one that just knows what it is and doesn't try to be more and doesn't and is not less. You know what I mean? It's just get all these action guys together and like go have an adventure. And like that's what it sets out to do. And that's what it does. So like I don't see how you can complain about that movie. You know, that was, that was exactly it. Um, you know, the first couple of uh, Fast and Furious movies I thought were were good. I mean, again, I don't think they're going to go down in in history as, you know, Citizen Kane or 2001 or or anything like that. But again, for what they were, they're, you know, really pretty good. Those Um, crack me up because of the way the scope has changed. You know, like the first couple of movies is just about like underground street racing. And by the end, they're like driving a submarine on the moon or something. You know, it's just it's just (laughs) gone. I don't know. Yes. By Fast and Furious, you know. 10 or whatever they will be just in it'll be a full-on space battle or uh, yeah, something yeah <laughs> i can't believe it hasn't happened already honestly yeah i can't believe it uh you yeah. mentioned citizen kane um, that brings up an ongoing debate that we've been having uh do you if you had to pick one movie would it be citizen kane or jurassic park oh wow right uh wow yes this is eric eric um, and sally have had this uh, ongoing fight for many years now and and uh now we're making it public so I, you know, I think that as much as I really do enjoy Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. um, I probably have to go with Jurassic Park. I think that wow. I that, you know, if, if you were going with one movie, like like you were only going to watch one of those movies forever. Well, if it was like, what what do you think is the or, better? What do you think is like a better movie? Man, I don't know. Then they're really neck and neck. Right. It's it's like. Uh, you know Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant thing. It's like <laughs> you know the two different times and what they what they meant to yep. movies. I think at the time, yeah. uh, you know they they both meant equally as much, but it was a different kind of a different time. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, yeah, it's it's a tough. That's one. a really good. I don't know. And that's an, hard to pick unfair, sides. It's Yikes. an unfair question, definitely. I'll tell you. So far, it's been Eric and Tina on Jurassic Park side, and only Sally on Citizen Kane. So that's that's where it's, <laughs> where it's been down so far. Let me ask you an equally difficult question, and the answer to this can't be fish. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. Beatles. Okay. All yeah, right. I won't even hesitate. Beatles. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. But I also uh, think that that as much as I love. Question. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that I still think that though overall, I think the the Beatles have just meant so much more to so many more people. The Stones yeah. could honestly have hope to. I just think their goals um, are so. Different. That's not to say that I don't. Yeah, I mean, just the kind of music that they made, yeah. what what they were trying to accomplish with that music, are just completely different things, and so it's really hard to put them neck and neck. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'd give it to the Beatles too, and I think they have the benefit of. We miss the Beatles, you know, like I just saw the Rolling Stones in concert last year, you know, so like we've had all this time to like, we have these like 10 albums and, and that's a good know, point. And in this ended in 1970. That's a good point. So we've had, you know, a generations now to, 
you know, appreciate the Beatles, whereas the Rolling Stones, like, have a new album coming out. So it's it's hard, but it's it's always interesting to... Uh, Eric would answer Led Zeppelin to that question, which I think is an obnoxious answer, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't count. I know. It shouldn't count. That's what I'm saying. So that, that would be... You know, if you ask me again, you know, the Stones or Zeppelin, I would pick... I'd pick Zeppelin. Okay. Even though... And I, I always... I always get a lot of flack for this. If you really spend the time to listen to uh, Zeppelin and you, and they don't really make any kind of, they don't, they don't try to cover it up at all, but so much of their music was essentially lifted right out of the playbooks, however you want to, whatever cliche you want to use from blues artists uh, that came before them. And, um, like blues and blues and jazz artists and and they basically didn't credit it right away like when Led Zeppelin was out you know tearing up the you know the entire globe they didn't yeah. really they didn't really credit it they've sort of backed off on it now the some of the remaining members of the band but I, for the way that they ripped it off and put it together i mean i i'd pick zeppelin over the stones mm-hmm. too <laughs> Eric has a podcast called Is It Classic, Does It Rock, where they go through uh, bands' albums and, and, and do like a deep dive into each one. And they, and they just recently covered the first half of Led Zeppelin and talked pretty extensively about everything that they've <laughs> borrowed, let's just say, from, <laughs> from the era before that. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. It's interesting. Let's talk about Fish, though, because that's – I always – when I see you, I think of Fish because – how many times have you seen Fish in concert? Oh, man. Um <laughs> I don't know. I mean, less less than a hundred, more than fifty. <laughs> I like when the scale. Yeah, I though, mean, the, so when the scale is a hundred. That's <laughs> that's in the running. Okay. Yeah, yeah, less than a hundred, more than fifty. I I don't know, uh, honestly. This is how a many real times. fish. Is just a complete hole in my music knowledge. Like I'm sure that you could play me like you know the most recognizable fish songs, and I would be like, oh yeah, but I couldn't. If my life depended on it, name for you a Fish album or song. So tell me, as somebody who doesn't know anything about Fish, uh, first of all, how you got into them, and where would you start somebody like me who's never listened to them? I got into Fish in, in a big, probably in a big bad way. Yeah, I mean, I was in like ninth grade probably, and I had always, even in, in ninth grade. I'd listen to, and I still do alternative rock or whatever. Yeah. And um, there still is a radio station in Rochester, ninety point five WBER. I mean, it was like essentially from like sixth grade through high school. It's like the only thing that that I, the only radio station that I listened to. And they didn't they didn't play Fish, but I, like people that I knew uh, listened to Fish. And it was at the time, anyway, different enough where I was like, "All right, cool. I'm gonna, I'll give it a shot." And then I don't, I don't know. I, I just something about it was, you know, a little bit more involved. There was just there was more, you know, jazz elements and classical elements to it than just kind of an alternative rock band. And then you know that was it. And then I kind of fell down the rabbit hole, yeah. I guess. Um, the thing that I appreciate most about fish though is probably you know i mean musically um yeah i think all four members of the band are are virtuosos i i i've thought that for a long time and they you know they play together i mean they've been doing it together for 30 or 35 years now at this point 
and it's you know when the live experience is is definitely where it's at it's it's like it's such an effortless thing for them especially now that it's i mean it's really it's like watching watching any artist or or craftsman at the peak of their skill and and their you know they're at the top of their of their industry uh whatever it is that's kind of what it's like for for me uh in fish you know there's a a few like select live shows that i suggest to people uh there's you know the first time i saw fish was uh at darien lake uh august of 1997 and it was this completely bizarre experience um Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters were there and running through the crowd in full costumes and they were up on stage and it was, it was, it was very like even kind of expecting something unique to happen at the show. I don't know that anybody there was really expecting it. And um, I, I, and I hit, you know, I guess it, it was, I had just read the electric Kool-Aid acid test my, you know, during my senior year of high school. So I was very, you know, Ken Kesey and the Pranksters and, uh, that that part of uh, you know the, the 60s and the first parts of the 70s mm-hmm. were very much were fresh in my brain I guess you know my knowledge of them sure, yeah. so v- for that to have happened at that fish show it was like okay now I can't ever stop loving this band right Darien 97 mm-hmm. uh, kind of covers the bases and, and 97 was a really funky period in in the band's kind of live playing so did they do they put out a lot of live albums then? Yeah, for a bunch of years, they have offered, uh, they were like one of the first bands to do the live, um, get a copy of the show, like right at the end of the show. Yeah. And they host all of those on their website. So you can, you can buy, you know, basically any one of the shows, um, a little live uh, copy of the show uh for like almost the last 20 years mm-hmm. uh give or take and they've gone back and they've released a whole bunch of archival stuff from oh, okay. from for that time so so if it's I, so if i was gonna go pick up an album what do you think it should be a studio album well, whatever whatever well sometimes you know the studio albums sometimes it's easier for people to get into and they're all you know i think they've all got their positive attributes and and they've got their you know They've got some some drawbacks as sure. well, but yeah. Hoist was pretty accessible, I think, for the most part, and it has uh, a bunch of songs on it that they've continued to play live. And uh, right a, well, a few years after Hoist came out, they released a live album. Uh, it was called A Live One, which has uh, it's you know they, they kind of picked and pulled songs from different shows and put them together. Okay, it was it's not necessarily just one show all the mm-hmm. way through. That's a really good representation of where they were kind of in the end of the '90s. And really, any of the shows from uh, if you you look it up, the Baker's Dozen. They played 13 shows in a row at wow. Madison Square Garden uh, a few years ago, and they played 13 shows in a row. They took one night off, Jeez. I think. Uh, they didn't repeat a song for the entire run of shows. That's insane. Um, yeah, I mean it's out of control. They played two sets, you know, every night. Any of those Baker's dozen shows were, you know, I, I feel they were all really, really good. That's that's pretty amazing. Thirteen shows back to back, no repeating songs. Meanwhile, Ringo Starr's been singing the same set since 1972. Yeah, just changes changing the players that are, <laughs> are playing yeah, with them. Yeah, pretty much. Are you a Jefferson Airplane Hot Tuna fan at all? 
not so much hot tuna. Not that I not that I don't appreciate hot tuna, but uh, Jefferson Airplane. I've always yeah. always liked. I mean, that was weird stuff at the time. Yeah, you know? definitely. I just a friend of mine and I. We just went to see Hot Tuna at the end of last year, and it made me think of that because they do the same thing. They've always put out their concerts. You could just go and you know find the concert you went to and download the whole thing, which is such a cool thing to do. I mean, I've seen. I saw this McCartney show in Buffalo that he just did. He picked the weirdest songs. It was such an unusual set that I would love to have that concert. And of course, you can't. So I really like it when bands make yeah. it possible. I think it's it's a very cool thing now, like kind of where we are uh, with technology. Like, yeah. I think it's a really cool thing. And uh, Pearl Jam, when they first started doing the same thing, it was I was like, oh, this is you know this is awesome uh, because they were going to just start releasing like every show they'd played mm-hmm. uh, that they had recordings for. And I, I guess I don't know where they've decided to, to you know, to stop that project. But still, if you go to see Pearl Jam, you can you can get a copy of the show, you know, later that night, the next day. I wish more bands would do that because it's it's so nice to have that like, you know, you're really attached to that live experience that you've just had. And it's nice to be able to take something home like that, that, you know, that, that represents what you just saw. So I think that's great. Yeah. So at the top of the show, I was telling Eric that I feel like the Cohoxin Library is one of the most unique uh, in the system, just because of its 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 weird history and its in its uh, its weird spaces. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so, our library is on uh, uh, kind of a typical Main Street, Finger Lakes Village uh, road, yeah. and our library occupies three of those old timey storefront right. buildings. Uh, and it used to be uh, before the library moved in, uh, it was a furniture uh, and floor covering store. So the whole uh, building at one point was broken up and sectioned off to showcase sets of furniture. And uh, the library didn't have a ton of money when they moved in. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that still exists in the library. And what we've been able to do over the last uh, four or five years is to keep some of that charm. uh, Because it's like the one thing that people point out when they walk in the library all the time is they just appreciate the charm. But at the same time, make the building and the rooms themselves feel a little more cohesive. Yeah. Uh, before uh, we renovated the juvenile room, that room had you know, six or seven different floor coverings right. in it, and very about lush 10 different... carpet, as I remember. It was very. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was super soft yeah. and super old. Actually, the guy that uh, helped us out with the carpet tile that we installed there, he used to work for uh the carpet rack was the name of the store oh okay uh, in the library and he when he came in to give us the estimate and we started talking about redoing the floor as part of the renovation he he looked down and he was staring at the carpet and i go you know (laughs) is is everything okay and he said he said no he's everything's fine he's like i installed this carpet here like 35 years ago oh full circle (laughs) Yeah, so uh, he had installed that carpet before he went off to start his own business. Yeah. Um, and it was still, it actually was in, you know, it's, it's you know, we say it as a joke, but that particular yeah. really ugly beige-ish <laughs> orange carpet was in really pretty good shape for it the yeah. traffic. Yeah. Uh, so then he got to, you know, his guys tore it all out and uh, and everything so but uh, you know we've we've tried to keep some of that some of that charm and it adds it actually helps us break up uh, the collections a little bit too a little bit more naturally where we can leave picture books are are definitely in their own visual space mm-hmm. and the same thing you know with the juvenile uh, fiction and um, our now our YA 
uh, collection is kind of moved to the back corner of that mm -hmm. room. Uh, so it's, you know, it can be broken up so that it's, they're definitely their own collections. Well, it uh, adds, I think it adds a coziness factor to it as well, because one thing that always frustrates me about our building, and I can't complain because I, I mean, I love the, I love the David A. Howe library, the building. I mean, I was struck by it when I first walked in the door, but it has a distinct lack of like nook type spaces because it's so big and so open wall-to-wall -wall shelves it's like you can't really have a nice it's hard like, to... quiet little corner which which i think you do so well in your space yeah it's difficult for you guys to break up that space and it's um i couldn't I, you know you're talking about your building real quick when uh, i think the first time i saw um the david a howe library was for a um i actually i think it was one of the field trips that uh, oh, okay. that we did yeah. and i just remember thinking i had I think only ever been through Wellsville uh, once before, mm -hmm. and pull, you know walking up the stairs to the library, I was like, I can't. I mean, it's amazing that that building exists middle of nowhere. Oh I mean, yeah, not you know not to, you know no, I don't I don't mean that in a bad way. No, but, you're absolutely you know, right. I mean, nowhere it, in Southern Tier, it's it really, such a cool building. It stands out from the landscape as well. I mean, you don't when you're driving along Route 19 and you pass it, it's like, wait, what is that? You know, yeah. you just, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the last thing you expect. So yeah, I, I, I know what you mean, definitely. Yeah. And see, I've always thought that that we cornered the market on a library with the most creepy spaces in it. But I think that Cohocton can really give us a run for our money, considering your haunted basement. I uh, yeah, I think that just the uh, I mean, the basement is <laughs> in that building. It's so weird, and even you know, even now. I I've been, uh, I've been there for five years now, uh, just about, and um, I still, you know, in that basement, uh, it's parts of it are finished, sort mm -hmm. of parts of it aren't, um, and I just recently I found that underneath the kind of the one, oh um, my gosh, good quote unquote staircase. <laughs> yeah, uh, because most of the staircases are still there, but they go to nothing. They just go to flat ceilings. There's no openings. Yeah, there's actually there's even that's staircases funny. that are just totally enclosed between the first and the second floor. Yeah, like I said, there's one staircase, but it's just totally closed no in. No thanks. No thanks. Yeah, you. it's we have plenty of creepy places there. It's yeah. um, it's part of what makes going into work every day. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. not now, but um, you know, well, normally yeah. going into when work we were a little doing bit. That thing, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you, we, said you found it, a new creepy space. Yeah, underneath the the one staircase that that I still let other people use when they've got to get down to the basement for stuff. Right. Uh, there's just a, a wall that's kind of built out, and it's old stone foundation. It's the same era as the rest of the stone foundation okay. of the buildings, but it kind of sticks out into the basement a little bit. And I had never noticed until really just uh, you know within a you know six or eight weeks probably uh, that there is a hole kind of knocked through the the stone that's there into okay. just uh it's just a void i mean there's <laughs> just to the back of the of the uh foundation wall there's nothing really there there's no there doesn't appear to be any pipes or plumbing or electrical at any point in there it's just really weird and um it's very um the kevin bacon movie it's very sixth sense uh <laughs> it's like it's, that's bruce it's, willis yeah bruce willis that's the one <laughs> it's it's very uh it's very sixth sense um, so, so like I'm trying, I'm having trouble picturing this. So it's like it, you can see a space through a hole, but you can't access that space any other way. It's just like because there's a hole there, you can see into this like hollow little cavern. Yeah, basically, and it's not very big. I mean, you That's... know, if uh, if you know, you could get in there and and sit 
in it, I guess, if you yeah. were crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's just, and it, it's obviously it's always been there, at least in the time that I've right. been there. But I just never felt the need to walk underneath that staircase for yeah. anything. Still, every once in a while, I find new weird and creepy things about the building it's it's fun here i thought that it was just going to be our listeners who were learning today but i've learned something new about the cohocton public library so thank you for that i i try to keep uh i I try to keep it interesting for everybody (laughs) yes well phil thanks for uh thanks for taking the time to to sit down and talk to me uh, about everything from catapults to pearl jam to star wars that's uh, An interesting trajectory that we've been on here. Before I let you go, I have to ask a question that's that's come up in all of these interviews, and that is, what's your favorite '80s movie? If I am being objective, okay. I mean, I don't think I don't know how anybody could not love uh, Goonies, right? Yes. Good Just yes. I love. I mean, game. I love the Goonies. You, you and you can you can sit down with your kid is I mean really when they're like five or six yeah and they can grasp the concept and yeah. it's not too over the top and it's just um, you know we watch Goonies here you know in our house we watch it a couple times a year nice. usually <laughs> um, uh, we do the same thing with the Back to the Future movies mm-hmm. though as well yeah. uh, but like eighties teen angsty eighties soundtrack oh man. Um, Say anything is yeah. is uh, you and I've spoken about it before. Uh, is just that's uh, like one of the mo- single most iconic scenes in mm-hmm. in film, right? Is is John Cusack there? Um, My wife and I went to uh, up in Rochester. They were doing a special screening of Say Anything with John Cusack. So we watched the movie, and then afterwards he came out, and then they just did like a big Q and A with him, and he talked all about it, and it was such a cool experience. It was such a cool night. I was so like I saw like the day that it was happening. Yeah. I, it came across my, you know, whether it was you know Facebook or my email or whatever. And I was said, and I just remember shouting at my computer, "No!" Yeah. <laughs> because I thought, man, how cool would that be? Is that um, in in your eyes uh, is is our song? My yeah. wife and I. So, okay. So, yep. so um, uh, I just I remember thinking, God, I missed another one of these like. Super romantic opportunities. <laughs> Although I, I don't think that she's within earshot right now, and she wouldn't deny it if I if she was. She doesn't remember most of the time that in your eyes uh, is our son. <laughs> it just well, that would have been a nice it, reminder. John Q. Yeah, could have reminded her for you. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, <laughs> solid choices. Solid choices. Yeah, I do love the Goonies. I haven't showed my son that yet, so maybe that'll be a, a quarantine exercise we could do. Man, it's like reading Calvin and Hobbes. Sure. Yeah. My love of cartoons and uh, Ed, Ed, and Eddie. I remember from that. The, yeah, the '90s Cartoon, cartoon Network. Cartoon Network. Network. Yeah, I was a big Johnny it's, Bravo guy. Well, again, Johnny Bravo, like um, Calvin and Hobbes, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, even Johnny Bravo, like the way that they capture so simply that kind of like particular period of yeah. your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, your you know your imagination and adventure. Like everybody remembers having uh, a stuffed animal like best friend right and that was like your you know your your he was your guy you just you went everywhere together and everybody remembers having those friends that you built tree forts and were convinced they were pirate ships and and, you know it's just there's one of those things about those two kind of different forms of the of the same uh of the same story 
I don't know how I got there from Goonies, but <laughs> it's it's having that you know that being able to easily connect with that adventure and and that thought process and the imagination behind it is just I've always thought it was great. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well said. All right. Well, Phil, this has been a lot of fun. This has been uh, the most fun I've had today in quarantine. Excellent. The same here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon, and uh, hope hope you and your family stay happy, healthy, and sane. You got it. I was, hope the same for you guys. We'll. Uh, <laughs> we got to get out of the house at some point, right? Absolutely. So. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, buddy. See you next time. You got it, Nick. Right, bye. Thanks, Phil. It's a weird library. What a fun I'm interview. Not, I'm not going <laughs> to... You had to get your classic line in there. Yeah. It is a very strange place in, in all the right ways. I mean, Is it haunted? That basement. Like, I mean... <laughs> You know, I'm not one to believe in those sorts of things. I can tell you Mm -hmm. our first guest, Sally Jacoby Murphy, has been down in this basement, and she would Uh swear that it's haunted. So, you know, Mm -hmm. take that with a grain of salt. I don't know. But right. uh, it's such it's such a cool and interesting place in, in very different than than the David A. Howe mm-hmm. Library, which also has a lot of like weird nooks and unusual spaces. Yeah, like this place, because it's like a non-traditional building, mm-hmm. just lends itself to a lot of like weird stuff. So I'm always fascinated. Like I've done a tour of that building a couple of times now, and I'm always right. fascinated to see it. So. Look, I it's not that I don't believe in ghosts. It's mm-hmm. more that I I don't not believe mm-hmm. in ghosts. Do you know what I mean? I do. I, I yes. I do not. I, believe I don't necessarily like you. Don't believe in ghosts. No, okay. Hard line. I guess don't. I I believe in ghosts until I get the evidence. You know what I mean? It's like a so you innocent want, until proven guilty. You're asking the supernatural to prove a negative to you because that's very hard to do. I guess I'm asking not the supernatural, the science, the scientists to prove that there are no ghosts. Yeah, but see, I want a hundred percent. I want a hundred percent accuracy. That's not where the so, burden of proof lies. It, it's the same thing with aliens. You know what I mean? It's like when people are like, "Oh, do you believe in aliens?" I'm like, "Well, I don't not believe in aliens." Right. I guess if you so. if you transfer it to like a courtroom scenario, I mean, you can mm-hmm. easily. Let's just say I murdered someone. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> you could conceivably prove that I did in fact murder someone, but if I didn't murder someone, how are you going to prove that I didn't murder someone? You know what I'm saying? There's no right. facts to back that up because it didn't happen. Wait, so, so you're saying there's no facts to prove that you didn't murder someone? Yes, but you're no, you're misreading. <laughs> no, no, no. You're saying no. <laughs> all the facts we have, I'm saying, do not prove. You can't. You can't. Your alibi, prove a negative. the DNA on the scene, like nothing. I, I can't prove that you were not an extra on Dawson's Creek. I can't prove that. I don't think it's true. I don't have evidence right. that proves that it is, but I also can't right. definitively say that it didn't happen. Well, in 1997, I was 11, so I'd be a very specific extra on Dawson's Creek. Maybe you didn't want to wait for your life to yeah. be over. You know, maybe. You yeah, didn't that's want to true. Go and yeah, be on Dawson's Creek. So the the point yeah. is the point. Boy, is, Dawson, do you like Joe or what? <laughs> if you're waiting for scientists to prove to you that there are no ghosts, you got a long wait, son. Right. Okay, I'm just saying that every that sometimes at night when all the lights are off and there's something like reflecting on the wall, there is a brief second where I go, "Oh, that's a ghost," and then I realize it's not, and I'm relieved. But for that brief second, I'm paralyzed with fear because I 100% in that moment believe it is a ghost. Hmm. So, well, I think we've learned a lot here today. I think ghosts might be a long-standing like childhood fear. Yeah. Well. So. Don't hang out in the Cohocton Public Library's basement then. 
<laughs> okay. That's the way you feel. There's doorways that yeah. don't go anywhere. There's stairwells that don't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a nightmare. Nice. It's a nightmare. Uh, an asylum is what you're saying. Well, no, not technically. <laughs> not technically. <Right? laughs> not technically. Let's just leave okay. it at that. All right. What did All you right. think of Phil's uh, favorite 80s movie? Is that plus minus? Do you, are, are you, do you approve of that choice? Uh, to each their own. Very diplomatic. Very to diplomatic. each their own, yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. All right. Uh, well, Wait, I think that's, well, what's your favorite 80s movie? Oh, it's Back to the yeah, Future. To what the am future. I doing? Yeah, it's got to yeah. be Back to the Future. Yeah. But I, I mean, I really like Short Circuit, too. Anything with Steve Gutenberg. What am I going to say? I don't like it. Three Men yeah. and a Baby, Police Academy, mm -hmm. one through four. Forget it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. All right. Anything else you want to add about Steve Gutenberg, or should we put a button on this? Uh, I guess it's one of those things where, like, we can't really know who failed who in that situation, Hollywood or Gutenberg. True. So. True. That is so true. Well, once again, our thanks to Steve Gutenberg and our guest, uh, Phil Trautman. Phil, thank you. You can find out more about the Cohocton Public Library on any of their social media platforms or at cohoctonlibrary.org. That's going to do it for this Off the Books episode of the All the Books show. Join us on the next proper episode as we talk a lot about uh, Batman's favorite sidekick, Robin. Mm -hmm.